Okay, we are back and you are listening to the official Sasta podcast from the main man, Jason Lemkin, at JasonLK on Twitter, and me, Harry Stebbings of the 20 Minute VC, at HStebbings on Snapchat. Now, today I'm thrilled to present an incredible founder's journey as we welcome Laura Roder, founder at Edgar, the social media automation tool that essentially allows your social media queue to fill itself up. And this is not the usual startup story that we're all very familiar with, as Edgar has taken some very unusual steps. Firstly, they haven't raised VC funding. Secondly, they don't have a sales team. Thirdly, their founder, Laura, was pregnant while launching the product. And after this, they are a startup that actually makes money at 2.9 million ARR as we speak. Now, this is a change for our industry, as we all know. So I'm thrilled to welcome Laura Roder to reveal all. Good. That's perfect. Okay, I think we're warmed up. Laura, it's absolutely wonderful to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Harry. I'm very happy to be here. Now, I'd like to start by hearing a little about you and how you came to found Edgar. What was the aha moment for you? Yeah, so before I was running Edgar, I was running a social media training business, teaching small businesses how to do social media marketing. And we had a process that we were using in my own company and that we were teaching others for leveraging and repurposing your content. And the process was to keep all your content in a spreadsheet and then you'd go through and copy and paste it into a scheduling tool, all in categories. You just kind of go from the top to the bottom of a category. So, you know, put 50 inspirational quotes in your spreadsheet and just go down all 50. When you were done, you would copy and paste them all over again. And it, this system was working really well for us and our clients, but it still involved a lot of manual labor, a lot of copying and pasting. It seemed really weird to me that I couldn't store my social media updates in my social media tool that I was paying for. And I had to use a Google spreadsheet instead, which didn't work very well. So Edgar was really built to be software to do all the things we were doing manually. And a little birdie told me that you were pregnant when you launched the business. And when you hit 100k MRR, you were on maternity leave. So so I have to dig into that because that's a bit of a rarity. So how did you assemble and build the team with this absence in mind? So in retrospect, it was actually an incredible constraint because when we launched, I knew that I would be taking three months leave and ended up being, I guess, about like six or seven months after after launch. So I couldn't build a business. I wasn't interested in building a business that was just going to grind to a halt, obviously, when, when I left for three months. So I think it really forced me to think in a different way about who I hired and how we built our team. And I think one of the biggest things I did was just not... No one was trained to ask to ask me for things. You know, the person who's in charge of customer service, she's in charge of customer service. She doesn't get permission for me. She doesn't need to discuss with me what she's doing. She just, you know, makes her best call and does it. And that's how we've built it from day one. So it wasn't weird for the team to not be checking in with me all the time because they never really were. I'm really intrigued. How did you kind of engender that founder vision then within the team that's so decentralized away from you and mm-hmm. independent? Yeah, because we also are uh, distributed. We're distributed across U.S. and Canada. So, you know, that's another I, I didn't, I didn't know that, but that is yeah. another challenge. So, so how did you then engender that kind of cohesion and vision? So we're definitely very big on, on planning and systematizing the business. So a mistake that I made in businesses that I've run before is they were very much 
around promotions and launches to get the money in the door. So you would do a big seasonal promotion or do a big exciting launch and a bunch of money would come in, but then it would be pretty dead for the next few months. And it was this feast or famine, you know, you have to come up with the next promotion, you have to come up with the next idea. And I think that's how a lot of businesses do marketing. And I did not want to do marketing that way anymore. So I decided that we would not run seasonal promotions. We do it very rarely now. You know, they give us a a little bump, but it's so much better to focus that energy on building a sustainable system that can bring in clients all the time. So right from day one, I mean, marketing is my background. That's my strength. So I built a marketing system and a marketing funnel that as long as we're doing our content marketing and blogging and using social media, using the tool, leads will come in, they'll go through our funnel and they'll become customers. And building that out is just, you know, improving the funnel, improving the conversion points making better and better content, but it doesn't depend on, you know, often the founders out there making deals or making partnerships or, you know, coming up with this next big initiative that's going to be launched. I don't really think that way about business. I think more of building a system. And I I want to talk, going back to the team there, about a very interesting aspect of Edgar, and that's that for a SaaS company, you don't have a sales team. Mm -hmm. So talk me through this process and why you decided not to have a sales team deliberately. So we're small business only. Our plans are $49 a month or a small amount of people are on $99 a month. We don't have enterprise plans. We, we're we really focused on being small business only and we're bootstrapped. So those two things together uh, make the math of a sales team very, very challenging. You know, we're not one of those businesses that can just say, okay, we're going to spend $5,000 to acquire a customer and we'll figure out later how that customer is going to become profitable. We're, we're bootstrapped. You know, we need to be, we, we are profitable. We have to be profitable in order to survive. So looking at that math, I just really didn't think a, a sales model made sense when we could do kind of a similar thing in the marketing funnel that I referenced. So we collect email addresses, we send follow-up information, educating people about the tool and how they can use it and sending them to reviews. A lot of the things that a salesperson might do, we try to do in an automated way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And have you ever thought or wanted to proceed up the funnel in terms of enterprise clients and larger average revenues per customers? We might at some point. I'm a big believer in in doubling down and staying focused on on what you do well. I know how to do marketing for small business. That's what our team knows. That's our space. That's what that's what we're excited about too. You know, like like many people, uh, it's a lot more satisfying for me to help a small business than to help <laughs> a huge corporation, honestly. Uh, and there are so many more small businesses. You know, right now we have we have about five thousand customers. That's a tiny chunk of the small businesses in the state of Texas where I am right now. You know, there, there's just so much more room to grow. And I think a lot of businesses move over to enterprise too soon. You know, a lot of people in the SMB space are told that they that they have to go enterprise. I like looking at MailChimp. They're a big inspiration to me. At this point, they they do have larger businesses and they I mean, they just introduced a special metrics and data kind of add on for larger businesses so many years into their journey. But their bread and butter has really been small businesses and and they get thousands of new small businesses signed up to their system every day. So I know that they're out there. And and you mentioned earlier about the bootstrapping. Uh, So I I do want to dive into that. And I want to dive into how the SaaS maths is different Mm -hmm. for bootstrap companies compared to uh, maybe venture funded companies. 
Yeah, I mean, so something that I figured out early on is I was reading because this is my first SaaS company. This is my first software company. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to, you know, going to read every blog post on Saster, right? I'm going to I'm going to read everything I can um, about SaaS. And so I noticed that a lot of the common formulas are based on LTV, lifetime value. So I'm kind of, you know, implementing this in my business and looking at it for things like Facebook ads and how much money can we spend? Like, okay, if, you know, our LTV is $1,000 and we're spending $800 and I'm like, wait a minute, LTV that's how much we earn from a customer in a lifetime, right? That's not how much you're getting from a customer right now. So the problem with LTV is that it can take a lifetime to earn back that money. And if you're bootstrapped, you don't have just millions of dollars sitting in the bank where you can just say, okay, we're going to spend a million on paid acquisition this year. And then in five years, we're going to get it back, right? We don't have that much cash to float that five year. So you really have to do the math differently and, and figure out your own cash runway. So for paid acquisition, for example, uh, we our, our goal, we haven't always hit it, but our goal is to get a, a three-month value. So for us, most customers are 49 a month. So that's about $150 instead of our LTV, which is, which is much, much higher. So I think you really have to be careful when you're reading about all these formulas for SaaS when you're bootstrapped, because a lot of them assume that you have some room before you're profitable and that you can even lose money. You know, the big thing now is, is unit economics, right? Uh-huh. Which is sort of funny to me because any bootstrap business, it's not like this like special new thing that we have to consider. It just, if your unit economics aren't right, you're out of business immediately. But I'd love to also hear then how exit strategies change when there's not, um, you know, big VCs taking in the rounds and taking up large equity chunks. Does that change the perspective from the exit side? Absolutely. I mean, one, we don't have to exit, which is sort of interesting, right? Because a lot of businesses, they have to get acquired or IPO. I mean, I feel like people are very cagey about this. Like, I, I researched um, raising money, so I talked to a few potential investors, and they're all like, you know, we're really like in the journey with you, and we're re- really looking to build long term. But it's like, well, no, you're not. I mean, you would love it if I sold this in a year. I mean, <laughs> that would be sort of your your best outcome for us to sell this for as much money in as little time as possible. Uh, so in a bootstrap business, you know, you can just keep running the business and gathering the profits, and and that's a really great outcome. And you can be much smaller. You know, if you have raised money, often your yourself and your investors are looking for a very, very large exit in order to get their money back. But my business, you know, we're at 2.9 million annual recurring revenue. I own 100% of it. That's pretty good for me. <laughs> you know, the business can be much more profitable, actually, to the founder at a much smaller scale. And it also... An interesting side effect that I wasn't really expecting is it lets us look at competition differently because it's not so winner take all. You know, there's lots of great tools in the social media space. We don't need every single customer. Uh, You know, our next goals are to get to 5 million and 10 million. Those are really exciting goals for us. In order to achieve that, we don't we don't have to have every single we don't 
have to have every single customer that's using another tool, mm-hmm. right? We don't have to be so competitive like Uber and Lyft. Like Uber is angry every time someone gets in a Lyft, right? Because that's they both want to be a very winner-take-all type of model because they're trying to take over the world. We're happy having our little corner of the world. <laughs> and in terms of, you said about kind of goals there, in terms of goals and metrics, metrics specifically, how does that differ then with bootstrap companies? You know, do you still kind of show the hockey stick to the right growth um, as I've seen on all attempts for startups gaining venture funding or do you kind (laughs) of uh, be truthful yeah I mean we our growth has been fast I mean it's not even two years and we're at 2.9 but we haven't had some event where everything has taken off it's it's been very gradual and another thing I've learned reading through all these books and blog posts about SAS math is that the way people calculate things like churn for example churn was a big eye-opener for me because before I got into this business I just thought churn was just, you know, the amount of customers that leave every month. I start talking to people and I come to find out people are like, oh, no, we calculate our churn after they've been there for six months because (laughs) because like that's sort of like our onboarding and acquisition period. I'm like, what? Or, you know, so many companies have free trials and anyone who comes in a free trial and then leaves doesn't count as churn, right? They only count their churn after they've become a paying customer, which is obviously a much lower number of people. Most people are going to leave before they ever pay, right? Most people are leaving after the free trial. So we just count churn as anyone who, you know, sees the software and then leaves, we count them as churning. So that's it, it makes our number much higher than a lot of people's, but to us, that that's the most honest number, right? We're concerned about every human who sees Edgar and leaves because we want to know why. We want to, you know, make sure we can educate them better. So I find that when you're bootstrapping, you kind of need to be a little more honest with your numbers than a lot of companies are because you're not trying to impress anyone. You're not trying to paint a picture for anyone. You just need to know the real math so that you're able to stay in business. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And and you mentioned there about um, the users with trials and you don't have a free trial at Edgar. Was that a difficult decision for you or was it quite an easy one? Um, it was difficult. You know, we have tested it because I'm like, OK, am I being crazy? You know, every <laughs> everyone else does a free trial. Uh, And we did test a free trial about eight months in and it didn't perform as well for us as what we do now. And actually, I was just I was just at a conference um, at Google and, and this topic came up and we were kind of discussing it as a group. And I was trying to explain what we did. And it was it was confusing for people because I was like, we don't have a free trial. And they're like, oh, so you have like a freemium. And I was like, no, we don't, we don't have premium. I was like, people people just buy it. That's our model. <laughs> like they want it and then they buy it. Right. You want it, you buy it. You know, if you don't like it, we'll, we'll give you your money back. Um, which, by the way, is something that I got from, from Jason Cohen. I watched a, a talk that he did. Uh, I think it was his microconf talk. I, I watched a talk that he did before I launched the company. And he said, don't do a free trial, just do a refund. It's sort of like a free trial, but you've actually collected the money. And, and that's why we did it based on that talk. And, and it's worked very well for us. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, really fascinating deep dive there into the contrast. But I'd love to touch now on 60 second Saster. So quick fire round. I say a short statement. You give me your immediate thoughts. 60 seconds. I'm going to be strict. How does that sound? I'm ready. So the hardest hire in the team building phase for you? Graphic designer. We cannot find a good designer. We're still looking for one. Please come work for us if you are one. Staying with SMBs and not moving up market. Tough decision? 
No, I love SMBs. I'm so happy that we don't have to do the whole enterprise song and dance. Mm -hmm. Your favorite social media platform for SMBs yourself, what do you gravitate towards? I still love Twitter because you can grow an audience and you can also still connect with people one-on-one, which you just can't do on other platforms. Mm-hmm. What resource has been the most formative to you in the Edgar building process? You said you've read everything to do with SaaS. What's your favorite? I think my favorite is Scaling Up by Vern Harnish. It used to be called the Rockefeller Habits. It's not SaaS specific. It's just a great textbook on how to run a business mm-hmm. um but i want to finish today on on the concept itself of social media so what have you observed about the social media landscape for smbs and how their realization to its importance have cha- has changed has it changed do they now see it as a very valuable tool uh, yes and no you know people it's funny because as it gets more and more common, people kind of realize that they need to be on board, but they also get more and more scared of it as it gets more and more complicated. You know, one of the most common questions I get now is, do I need to be on Snapchat? Do I need to be on Periscope? And my answer is no. You want to be where the large audience is. You know, I think social media can be confusing because there's social media for business and then there's social media for fun. There's, you know, Instagram stars who just have huge followings and may or may not be successful monetizing it. Uh, but the way that it looks as a marketing channel for a business is, is very different. And that's something that we're big on at Edgar. You know, we're not a social media tool for fun. We help you look at social media as a marketing channel and looking at your, your library of content. You know, that's something unique about Edgar. We're the only tool that stores a categorized library. And I see that when our customers look at their library, they start to think of social in a different way where it's actually a body of work. It's content that they can improve and iterate. So I think small businesses are getting a little more wise to the idea that social media is really part of a content strategy. You know, it's not about becoming a star with hundreds of thousands of followers. It's about creating great content, sharing great content that connects with your customers specifically, which is going to be a smaller audience than just trying to get as many followers as possible. Absolutely. I'm intrigued. How do you approach the the many differing platforms that we have now? As you said, there's Snapchat, Pinterest, Periscope, all of them that we all know about. How do you approach that and your advice to different companies on how they should approach each one? Should we be on all of them? Should we be very specific? What's your take on this? I definitely like building one place at a time. So when we launched Edgar, we, of course, built a new brand, a new social media presence. That's what we did. We started on Twitter because on Twitter, it's really easy to connect with thought leaders. We started posting content there. We actually started on Twitter before we launched our blog so that we could have kind of a small audience going already to start sharing our blog posts on social. So we started on Twitter, then we launched our blog, then we launched our Facebook page. And when you do it stair step like that, it allows you to take some of the audience from each place and move it to the new place instead of having zero followers on Twitter and Facebook, which is just really depressing. (laughs) You can start with zero on Twitter, you can build it up. And then, you know, a few hundred or a few thousand are going to follow you over to Facebook when you launch there. And you just need to keep your eye on where the biggest audience is for you. Uh, So an e-commerce business that is selling something that looks good, you know, if your product is visually appealing, 
Pinterest is a, a massive, massive channel for you. A software business like us, most SaaS businesses, Pinterest is just really not as relevant. It's it's much more of a challenge to do that kind of storytelling that we need to do visually. It just doesn't lend itself as well to our product. And yeah, Instagram is very visual as well. But I mean, Twitter and Facebook are still by far numbers wise, the biggest platform. So it's very wise for most small businesses to spend their time there. Is there a way SMBs can actually monitor and actively measure their their efforts and their input on social media you know should they look at their followers and go oh we're doing great or is it is there a kind of transferable metric that tells them how well they're doing smbs should really be looking at traffic back to their site because that's where the transaction happens right people aren't whether people are requesting a demo or giving you their email address or actually buying none of those things are happening on social. They're happening on your website. So the easiest, most straightforward way to think of social is just a way to get people to go back to your site. The easiest way to do that is to create great content like blog posts or podcasts that people will share because people don't share a link to your about page or a link to your request a demo page, right? They share a link to your blog and then that links to the request a demo page. So it's good to look at your total leads and your total customers from social. The thing is, that's really a different part of the funnel. You know, social isn't responsible for how many customers you're getting, but social can be responsible for really increasing uh, your traffic to your site. That's extremely easy to measure. The bit that's a little harder to measure is social is also really great for increasing the no like, and trust factor, building relationships, uh, increasing your reputation online, making people feel like they have an outlet to talk to you and get an answer from a human. Those things are much harder to measure on social. Mm-hmm. And then I want to finish by by asking, you see a huge amount of SMBs kind of using well and, and then not using well uh, social media. So w- what are most of them doing wrong if they're doing it wrong? Is there a common thread of mistakes? I mean, the biggest thing I see people do wrong is try to do too much and then get burnt out and then stop entirely. I mean, that was really a big inspiration for us in building Edgar. Edgar is really different because you don't have to keep refilling your queue. You don't have to schedule every update. You just put in your library of content and then Edgar pulls from that library for you every single day. So, so many small business owners are, you know, it's often uh, the owner of the business that's doing social media because they don't have, I mean, we're talking really a lot of our customers are one person businesses or, or just a few people. So they definitely don't have a dedicated social media team. So the owner is trying to do it themselves. They're trying to post seven times a day on a bunch of different networks, you know, often not even using a tool, doing it all live or still spending a lot of time scheduling everything in a tool. And I talk to so many people that do it for a few months. They get absolutely burnt out. They don't have time for it. And then they just go to zero. Uh, or they do it for a few months and they don't see the result. Because it, it takes it takes time to build up your audience on social. And then it becomes a snowball where the more followers you have, the more followers you get, the more shares you get, the more additional shares you get. Uh, so, you know, they get frustrated during that initial bit and then they just, they just quit entirely. So I think it's much wiser for a small business to stick with a strategy that they can actually handle. So, you know, of course I think leveraging tools like Edgar is very wise. It saves a ton of your time. If you don't want to do that, you know, just sticking to a posting schedule of like, I'm just going to pull content from my blog and I'm going to post something from my blog once a day or twice a day and just not even worry about doing anything else because I can handle doing that every day. Well, Laura, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been absolutely wonderful hearing about your journey with Edgar and your advice for all us SMB owners out there. So thank you so much for sharing with us today. Thank you. 
And I'd like to say a big thank you to Laura for sharing her incredible journey with Edgar with us today. Amazing to hear her progress and the pivotal role that social media plays for SMBs in today's environment. And if you want more SASTA content, then you can follow me on Snapchat at hstebbings and Jason Lampkin on Twitter at JasonLK. As always, I'm so grateful for all your support and we look very forward to bringing you an incredible episode on Monday with Mark Organ, founder at Eloqua and Influitive.